episode of the Precious Little Sleep Podcast is brought to you by the Precious Little Sleep book, now available as an audiobook. Check it out on Amazon, audible.com, or iTunes. Don't have time to read a book? Don't worry. Now you don't have to. So let's dive in. Welcome to the Precious Little Sleep Podcast. This is Alexis Dubief. It has been a while since you've heard from me, but I'm excited to get back in because podcasting, frankly, is kind of fun. So questions from the group today. Um, Linlin asks, I have a four-month-old who falls asleep independently, awake in their own bed, no pacifier, like a dream, but has many night wakings, cries for up to 15 minutes, and falls back asleep, repeats several times a night. What can I do to help? The day starts around seven or eight. There are multiple naps of 45 minutes all day long. She stays up close to three hours before bedtime, which is at 7 or 8 p.m. We change diaper, say goodnight, sing a song, put on the white noise, and put down a wake. What's going on? Well, I think two things are going on. One is, it sounds like overall she's doing brilliantly. Baby has a great schedule. Baby's falling asleep on their own. Like, at four and a half months, they're really in a good position. So when she says cries for a few minutes, up to 15 minutes, Partly what happens is all babies, and this is true for, you know, all healthy human babies, wake five to eight times a night, and sometimes there's what's called brief vocalization. So the sleep books would say briefly vocalizing, which sounds really mild and and innocuous, but to parents, we're like, oh my God, there's a problem. My child is vocalizing. Um, And the question is, how long is it? So if it's truly just a few minutes, there may not be a problem. That may just be a child cycling through light sleep and spouting off about it and going back to sleep. Um, 15 minutes is sort of the upper threshold of what I would consider to be like a normal kind of light sleep wake pattern. So technically speaking, not a sleep problem. Technically speaking, this child is actually an amazing sleeper. Can this be improved upon? Possibly. And here's the thing that kind of jumped out at me. So this kiddo falls asleep around seven or eight at night and then sleeps until seven or eight in the morning, which makes for a a 12 hour night, possibly longer, depending on how things are lining up. So chances are this is just normal cycling through light sleep, vocalizing briefly, successfully falling back asleep. However, the long night, 12 to 13 hours, raises a red flag for me and makes me wonder, it could be that the night is a little bit too long, that this is an 11 and a half hour baby or an 11 hour baby who's in bed for 12, maybe 12 and a half hours, um, and that they're like a tiny bit undertired, and that's going to lead to slightly more vocalizing and kind of more struggle and sleep cycling than a kid who who is getting slightly less sleep. So one thing I might experiment with if this were my kid is shortening up the night, maybe not letting them sleep until eight, maybe saying seven o'clock is our morning wake up no matter what, and seeing if we restrict sleep just slightly, does that help eliminate or dramatically reduce the vocalization that's happening as the child cycles through light sleep? But overall, Linlin's obviously on a great path there with sleep. So Victoria asks, How to settle a wide-awake four-month-old who, after feeding at 2 a.m., seems to think it's party time and will hang out for up to two hours. After the two hours, when he finally goes back to sleep, he then wakes every hour just to see if we still want to party. We do not feed him to sleep before bed. We have a routine that we have finished with military precision. We put him down semi-awake. He naps three times a day. He is down at 6.30, and he's up at 7 a.m. So... For some of you, I'm guessing that the clues here are already jumping out. 
we got a couple of issues popping out here. One is the whole semi-awake. Semi-awake has set many a well-intended parent up for success. And I think there's a lot of sleep books that tell you that drowsy but awake is the goal. But what we see, you know, in, in practice is that drowsy but awake causes a lot of problems because drowsy but awake typically means mostly asleep, you know? It's kind of like uh, the, the princess's bride. You know, you're only mostly dead. Well, we, we are looking for all the way awake, unlike the mostly dead scenario. And, uh, and really, the all the way awake is the scary part because we try to cheat the all the way awake by getting like really, really drowsy and the kid's like head bobby and the eyes are drowsy and then, you know, kind of mostly, mostly sleeping. When really what we want is a child who is awake, fully aware, alert, and is doing all of the hard work of falling asleep on their own in the crib after we leave. And um, so anytime somebody says they've got mysterious night wakings and then semi-awake or semi-drowsy, I'm mean, that's start there. The other thing that jumps out at me is that this child is in bed, just like Lynn's child. This child's in bed 12 and a half hours a night, and not all, all kids can sleep that long, and lo- most can't. But if we look at the big picture, this child is not sleeping 12 and a half hours a night. They're sleeping 10 and a half hours a night. They're in bed 12 and a half hours a night, but two of those hours, they're wide awake in the middle of the night with mom and dad having a party. And it's a party that mom and dad are not enjoying. So we have a 10 and a half hour a night kid masquerading as a 12 and a half hour a night kid, and a gap has formed. The 2 a.m. party is actually a gap. So the drowsy but awake is probably contributing, but really I think it's a, a two hour gap is a clue that we need a shorter night. So if bedtime is, um, let's see, what time is bedtime? So if bedtime is 6.30 and he's up at 7, we probably need to shave off two hours, honestly, on one end or another. Um, So pushing bedtime back to 8.30, that's going to require some nap shuffling so that we don't have a vast gap before bedtime, Um, extending wake times to kind of spread the naps out a little bit. Um, personally, I would rather push bedtime to 8.30 and continue sleeping until 7, but you could also have a 7.30 bedtime and wake a kid up at 6, 6.30. Um, that's a personal choice, but I would love to sleep till 7. So that would be the one I would make. Anyway, big picture is all the way awake at bedtime, reduce that night duration by up to two hours to close the gap. Um, and that's probably going to require some shuffling of the nap schedule, extending wake times to kind of spread that two hours out throughout the day rather than having some just like massive wake time before bedtime. Moving on, Elena also has a four-month-old. So we have a string of four-month-olds here. Since birth, I've been nursing asleep at bedtime for naps. We stopped swaddling as he started rolling over a week ago, and he will not take a pacifier. Four naps a day, no consistent length, about 30 to 40 minutes. We try for a consistent bedtime of 8 p.m. He sleeps in the crib after I put him down fully asleep. He really depends on sucking and goes from sleeping, sleepy to screaming in a second if we put him down awake, no matter how much soothing we provide. My question is, which swap would you recommend? Or is four months too early for slip? So... I love an informed question. And this is an informed question. Elena knows what the issue is. The issue is they've tried everything else. And basically, this is a child who is like, I'm either nursing or screaming. And we nurse until I'm fully asleep or I'm screaming at you. And I don't want to be rocked. And I don't want to be padded. And I don't want to be cuddled. And don't come at me with that pacifier because I am not here for it. So she gets it. 
This is a kid who's a boob baby. He's like boob, boob or bust. That's it. And it's hard. It's hard to break out of a boob or bust baby. And there are a lot of boob babies. Boobs are great. Nursing's awesome. So anytime she tries to nurse until drowsy or slightly awake, puts the kid down, kid's like, "Uh uh-uh, no, 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 we're not doing that. That's not happening. So big picture is we could talk about some swaps. Um, Anything but means you would nurse 20 minutes before bedtime. You would hand that child off to someone else who is not you, dad, you know, grandma, partner, whoever. And uh, that other person does anything but to get them to fall asleep. Rocking, singing, bouncing. A lot of times there's a yoga ball involved. Um, And you see what happens. I think that's a worthy experiment. But the fact that she tells me that he goes from sleepy to screaming in a second, if they provide anything other than sucking, makes me think it might not work. I think at four months, it's a worthy experiment. I would certainly encourage them to give that a try. But if the partner is in there for 20 minutes, furiously yoga ball bouncing, and this kid is screaming at you, you could say, is this really is this really a, a good plan? And I would argue probably not, but it's worth a 20-minute experiment. See what happens. Mom is gone. Anybody but mom, anybody but the nursing parent is in there having a go. I think that would be a worth, worthy try, and I would commit to that. If that is a failure, it's okay to say, this is just not productive. What are we doing? So then it might be time for slip. And some people are cautious about slip. They feel it's too early. But the reality is, is that breaking out of a nursing to sleep habit uh, for a boo baby is rarely a smooth process. It's a tricky thing to do. Four months, honestly, might be the easiest time to make this transition. The That waiting doesn't typically make things better. And many times it makes things harder because as we get older, we now have a child who can stand in the crib, who, um, you know, is got more uh, strong opinions about the matter. So I think, I think trying to swap out a partner and do an anything but type of bedtime routine to see if we can't cuddle to sleep might be worthwhile, but it's also okay to say if he's either nurturing or screaming, Maybe we need to do a little screaming. And at four months, it often goes a lot easier than you think it will. So I hope that gives Elena some tools to think about. Lindsay asks, I have an eight-month-old. So we're breaking out of the four-month-olds. We're moving to an older baby who wakes every three hours to nurse. Is he really hungry? We're just looking for comfort to nurse back to sleep. How do I get longer stretches? Goes to bed at 7 p.m., consistent routine. PJs, lotion, massage, nurse in dimly lit room, put on sleep sack, sing a song, into bed. Used to lay down drowsy. Again, anytime I hear drowsy but awake, I go, used to go down drowsy, would cry for a few minutes, then fall asleep. But lately, he falls asleep in my arms. I lay down, he rolls over, and stays asleep. He has always, since day one, eaten every two to three hours. Big boy, high metabolism. And I know he needed it before, but now I'm not so sure. No idea how to take these feedings away without him screaming. Sometimes when he wakes up, I try just to cuddle him to see if he's looking for comfort. But he just screams and pushes at me. And as soon as I nurse, he is instantly calm. But he does eat. So a couple of clues here. First of all, astute readers know we have a bedtime issue, right? 
The two big issues are we're nursing really, really close to bedtime. She's nursing in the dim room. Then they have like a cuddle and a song and the kid's going into the crib. So I'm guessing maybe five minutes, right? We go from nursing to crib, five minutes. They're really, really tightly close together. The other issue is he's falling asleep in her arms while nursing. I mean, that's new. So he used to basically, you know, be nursing really close to bedtime. So the nursing to sleep association was still there, even though he was functionally falling asleep in his crib. Now he's not even functionally falling asleep in his crib. He's straight up falling asleep while nursing. So he eats constantly all night long. Um, When somebody says, oh, my baby has a high metabolism, I'm like, yeah, maybe they do, maybe they don't. I mean, who knows? But I do know that when we nurse right at bedtime and he falls asleep nursing or we're nursing really closely to bedtime, we're teaching him that the only way to sleep is through nursing. So every time he cycles through light sleep all night, he's like, hey, what do you want me to do? I can't fall asleep back asleep without nursing. I need to nurse. What's up? Let's make this happen. So when you go in there and you try to cuddle him back to sleep, he's like, heck no, this is not happening. I am not down with this plan. Make with the nursing. So that's definitely in the mix, 100%. What we're doing at bedtime needs to change. We need to separate nursing out by a solid 20 minutes, and he needs to fall asleep completely 100% awake on his own in the crib. So that's step one. The next issue is we have a healthy, presumably full-term, large, thriving eight-month-old child who's eating every three hours all night. So let's say he's eating four times a night. Does a healthy, full-term, thriving eight-month-old need to eat eight times a night? Of course not. Of course not. He's been capable of an 11-hour fast for many, many months. Does he want to eat four times a night? Sure. Sleep sucks. Nursing's lovely. Let's keep doing that. Is he habituated to eating four times a night? Yes. I'm sure he's really eating. He's used to really eating. He has been doing this for his whole life, so why would it be a problem for him? It's not a problem. The problem is for you. It's been eight months, and mom has never gotten more than three hours of sleep in a row right? We're, we're, we're creeping up on the one-year mark, three hours sleeps of chunk, which is really like a form of torture. So the Geneva Conventions would say this is illegal. They would say this is in, unacceptable. We cannot treat people this way. So we change bedtime. We remove nursing. We remove him falling asleep in your arms. He goes into the crib awake. This is step one. Step two is we need to wean off some of these feeds. And part of what's probably in the mix is that he's not even making it a couple of hours before the first feeding. So early feeds close to bedtime can reset the sleep association that we're, wake, we're trying to break free from bedtime. Meaning even if you fall asleep without nursing at bedtime, if you're nursing back to sleep just a few hours later, that can reset the whole issue. So it's, it's a bit of a mess, right? Like it's really hard because you kind of get trapped into these patterns of just nurse and eat and nurse and sleep and nurse and eat and nurse and sleep. So the breakout would be changing what happens at bedtime and immediately weaning off the first feed of the night, which for her is only three hours after bedtime. So let's just hypothetically say kid goes to bed at seven on their own, huzzah, perfect bedtime, no more nursing, no more falling asleep in the arms, wakes up at 10 and is like, I must eat. We need to wean off that feeding. So if we want to take a more gradual route, great, we can do that. Wean off one minute a night, boom, 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 seven, eight, nine, 10 days. The first feeding is done. Now our next feeding at night would be after midnight, which is now five hours after bedtime, which is still a pretty short stretch for an eight-month-old, but it's a huge stretch compared to where they've been. So... um, you know, we just continue to work down the line and kind of wean off these feeds and move more of these feedings to daytime. If things do not go smoothly, some kids are big boob babies. We talked about this. They just love the boob. 
Uh, some options to consider. One would be um, to consider the possibility of switching from breast to bottle. Sometimes really big boob babies will take weaning slightly more graciously if they're given a bottle instead, which is a hassle, right? Because it means mom's pumping and now we've got warming bottles, washing bottles. It's a whole thing. Like I'm not trying to suggest that that's appealing, but if our goal is to actually reduce consumption and eliminate feedings, sometimes switching from breast to bottle um, as a temporary pass-through measure to, you know, really to weaning, that can be helpful. Um, in some cases, going cold turkey uh, is the right move, but I would suggest that's kind of like a plan C after, you know, kind of gradual weaning or possible bottles, like other things have been tried. Um, because really it's just, ha- it's, it's association and habit. And if we make these changes, you know, we can kind of, um, you know, work towards an eight month old who, you know, goes from let's say 6.30 or 7 and then doesn't eat again until 4. Like an absolutely reasonable goal at eight months would be, yeah, you know, we nurse half an hour before bedtime and then he sleeps until 4 and we do a little snooze button and he goes back to sleep for two hours. Like that would be a great uh, a great goal. So good luck with that. So Amanda had a slew of questions about toddler sleep, which I thought were really interesting. So these aren't probably typical, but they struck me as really unique and kind of different. So I wanted to spend a few minutes on these. So Amanda asks a whole bunch of questions. I'll just kind of go through the whole thing and then we'll circle back around and answer them. How do you know if a toddler is getting enough sleep? I know there are age guidelines, but there's a wide range of 10 to 12 hours. So how do you know if she needs 10 or 12? Related. If I nearly always wake up my toddler in the morning, is that an indication that she's sleep deprived? Do some children just naturally need to be woken up? Another question. Does it matter what time a toddler goes to bed if you think they're getting overall enough sleep? For example, if a toddler goes to bed at midnight but likely gets enough sleep at night plus nap, is there something magical about going to bed earlier? Does early sleep and early wake induce more overall sleep? I understand that being aligned with sunrise, sunset could be beneficial. Lots of interesting things going on here. So how do you know if a toddler is getting enough sleep? There is no litmus test. We can't, you know, put a put a like a little strip on their cheek and it turns blue if they're getting enough sleep. Um, the reality is, by the time a child is three and a half years old, you cannot make them sleep. Right? We can't make them sleep. We can't make them nap. So what we do is we set them up for success with consistency, good sleep hygiene, you know, reasonable schedule, and we see what they do. If they're not falling asleep for an hour at bedtime every night then they can't. If they stop napping as frustrating and as overtired as they might seem to you, you can't make them sleep and it's just done. So the reality is your toddler tells you if they're getting enough sleep because you can't force them to sleep more than they will. You know, when they're little, we can rock, we can take them for car rides. By the time they're three and a half, they're going to do what they're doing and whatever they're doing is what they're doing. Um, Much as you might wish it were different. My 12-year-old, as an example, goes to bed at 8, which is really early. Most 12-year-olds are up later, but he wakes up at 5.45. He's woken up at 5.45 since six months. That has never changed. It doesn't matter what time he goes to bed, 5.45, he's up. So he goes to bed at 8 because he doesn't sleep in. A lot of kids his age go to bed at 9 or 10 and then sleep in until 8. You know, in the summer, kids are sleeping in all over the place. Duncan, 5.45. So 
he's telling us that's what he's going to do, but he can fall asleep easily at eight. So even though he'll whine and be like, oh, mom, all my friends go to bed, you know, I'm like, yeah, they're not up at 545. So here we are. We all wish you were sleeping till eight, <laughs> but you don't. But he's 12, so I don't care because I'm not up with him because he's 12. Um, anyway, enough about me. Back to Amanda. How do you know if they're getting enough sleep? Because they tell you. And ideally, you're within the range. So 10 to 12 hours is the range. So if you said, my toddler only sleeps eight hours a day, I would probably kind of wonder if there's some room for improvement there. Related, I nearly always wake up my toddler and she sleeps through an alarm. Is this an indication that she's sleep deprived? Do some children just naturally need to be woken up? It, It is worrisome for me that we're waking her up every day. Yes. I would consider having an earlier bedtime and not having to wake up a child um, a better situation than having a very late bedtime and we're waking up a child. So as a rule of thumb, ideally, we are not waking up preschoolers at all. Now, there are sometimes extenuating circumstances, and I'm wondering if this was what's happening for Amanda, which is at three and a half, many kids are dropping the nap, and it could be that I'm assuming that maybe this child is still napping, and if they let her sleep in in the morning, she doesn't nap and is a big crank. So at least for now, they are retaining the nap, and their ability to retain the nap requires them to wake her up early. And so as a couple of months stopgap measure, they're you know kind of keeping the nap limping along by waking her up in the morning. And that can sometimes happen and be a reasonable choice. Um, But long term, I mean, you know, as a matter of day in, day out life for months on end, if we're waking a child up in the morning, something's off. And I would be considering like, what's up? And the what's up that jumps out at me from her question is she goes, if a toddler goes to bed between 10 o'clock at night or midnight do I, and still gets enough sleep, is there a problem? Well, the problem is if you're going to bed really late, but needing to be woken up in the morning. So it suggests to me that this is a kid who actually would like to sleep longer but because they have a very late bedtime, you know, and I'm assuming has to go to daycare in the morning, they can't let them sleep in that late. They're actually getting a shorter night's sleep because we're waking them up when they don't want to get up in the morning. So my guess is, because she's not sharing details, so they have a very late bedtime and they're waking her up in the morning. So the answer would be, yeah, I think you need to move bedtime gradually earlier and hopefully get to a point where they're going to bed earlier and not being woken up in the morning. And the number one reason I hear about really late bedtimes is, well, we never get to spend any time with them. You know, we don't get them out of daycare until six, and then we go home. And, you know, if we're rushing to get them to bed at seven, we don't have any time with them. And it sucks. It's one of the many things that makes modern parenting, especially in the U.S. with our lack of paid maternity, it's really hard. And that's, that is a tough thing for all parents. But I would argue that, yeah, midnight, especially if you're waking them up in the morning, is too late. And maybe we could compromise and have like a nine o'clock bedtime, which would allow you to have some time with your child, but also not wake them up in the morning as a compromise. Um, Are there benefits to having your sleep aligned with sunrise, sunset? Yes. So there are a reason most kids' clock sort of aligns with the sun because light exposure, specifically sunlight exposure, sets our circadian rhythm, which sets us up for sleeping at night and rising with the dawn, which is what most kids do kind of organically. So Heather and Ozzy had similar questions related to toddlers and bedtime battles. And I love talking about toddlers and bedtime battles. So um, I'm going to read both questions because they're kind of similar in in theme. Um, 
So Heather asks, uh, three-year-old limit testing at bedtime, asking you to come back in the room, asking you to lie on the floor, taking a while to fall asleep. Ozzy asks, almost two-year-old climbing out of the crib. Ah, good times, good times. Fighting bedtime, doesn't want to go in the crib, waking up at 4 a.m. and not wanting to stay in the crib. Bedtime is books and singing and cuddling. He keeps wanting to hang out with daddy, play toys, leave the room. He's up for the day around 6 a.m. In the past week, naps around 1 to 2.30. Bedtime used to be 7.30. Sorry, 7.30's routine starts in bed at 7.50. I have resorted to sleeping on a mattress next to his crib until he falls asleep. It's the only way he'll lie down and stop crying. So toddlerhood... You know, babyhood is really hard. It is really hard to have a baby. They are fussy. You can't leave the house. They have to nap into certain circumstances. Um, Nursing, feeding, it's a lot. It is a lot. But the upside about babies is they'll kind of do whatever you want. You put them where you want them on the floor mat, and they stay there because they don't have the mobility to leave. And they may, you know, grump at you when you're changing diapers or putting them in a snowsuit, but, you know, they're babies, and you're going to put them in the snowsuit, and they don't really get a vote in the matter. Um, Toddlers have very distinct opinions and are more than comfortable to express those opinions about what they do want to do, what they don't want to do. Uh, what they will and won't eat. You know, you're always hearing about babies who would eat everything and yo, yeah, like sure, they ate all these vegetables and we would give them tofu and they would eat it. And now you have a two-year-old who's subsisting on goldfish and good wishes. And you're like, what happened to the baby who was eating the tofu and the green vegetables? Well, they're toddlers now with very clear visions about what is and isn't acceptable, what they do and do not want. And they're going to express those. Um So the limit testing, the I don't want to go to bed, the screaming at you when they go in the crib is part of that process of them experimenting with their own power of communicating what they do and do not want to do. And no toddler since the history of time has ever wanted to go to bed. So almost all of us are going to hit that wall where our bedtime routine used to be easy peasy lemon squeezy. And now we have a toddler clinging to you like a starfish or screaming at you or coming up with a million reasons why they need Hugs, water, tuck in, stuffy, another book, different pajamas, these jammies are itchy, like whatever it is. And it doesn't mean that they're bad kids, but they're just like, I don't want to go to bed. How do I get out of this? Let me let me find ways. And um, typically, they're really successful in finding the way to delay bedtime, to get you to stay, to get you to come in 500 times, to get your time and attention. And... The problem is, is when we give them our time and attention in whatever form that might take, 400 trips to the bathroom, extra hugs, lying on the floor, moving them to a toddler bed, uh, it rewards their behavior. It goes, aha, that, that got mom to come back. That was a good one. So a lot of times people will say, well, my toddler screams as though they're in pain. I've never heard them scream like this. I'm like, well, yeah, because they screamed like here and you didn't come back. And they screamed here and you didn't come back. And they screamed here and you didn't come back. And then here, oh, oh my God, now we came back in because that was the volume that was required to get you to come back in. Now we've taught them to scream like this. So they scream like they're in pain or they scream like they're afraid. And, you know, we attribute all of these um, dire emotions to the volume. And really the volume is indicative of what is the level of intensity required to get you to come back in? It's this. And once we come back in at this volume, now they've figured it out. This is what this is what's required. And they're really good at it. They're really good. So 
asking you to come back in the room, asking you to lie on the floor. The challenge with all these behaviors is we're rewarding the non-sleeping and we're rewarding the, the delay of bedtime tactics. And then as Heather says, it's now taking a while to fall asleep. Well, yeah, because your three-year-old now has a job to do. The job is not to relax and to sleep. The job is to come up with ways to get you to engage. So, so she's in there busily thinking like, what can I do to get mom to come back? What can I do to get mom to come back? Um, my youngest, when he was three, his move was the poop. I have to poop. Mom, I have to poop. Mom, I have to poop. And, you know, that was the trick that would get me to come back because how do you say no to that? So I'd come and get him out of bed and we'd go to the bathroom and he would sit on the toilet for like 15 minutes. And if we were lucky, he would squeeze out like an M&M. Like it was you know, like desperate, desperate to get some poop out because this little Eminem poop would come out. He'd be like, "Oh yeah, I pooped. Yeah, hmm, see, ha ha." And I was like, "Oh god, you didn't really poop. You didn't have to poop. This is all behavioral." But you know, he had us over a rock. So the answer was, I said, "Oh hey buddy, we're gonna have to go to bed earlier because we're missing out on sleep with all this bathroom business." So this way, if you have to poop, you know it won't cut into our night's sleep. Well, that was not a big selling point, and eventually he let go of the whole poop business. But that was a good couple of months. I mean, that mm, like the, I have to poop. Ugh, boy. So kids are great at this. They're really great. Why I cannot sleep? I don't want to sleep. They yell at you. They cling to you. And all of this is boils down to. I am three. I don't want to go to bed. I know you or dad are out there watching TV without me. Bedtime sucks. I want to be out watching TV with you. And I'm going to come up with ways to engage with you because that's my job. That's my job now. So big picture, Ozzy has a two-year-old climbing out of the crib. So that's a different issue. So now we have a kid who both doesn't want to go to bedtime and now can get out. And the crib is just a safe containment unit. That's all it is. We need you to stay here. Stay here. So a two-year-old climbing out, I would say, number one, address the climbing out. We want to keep a kid in crib till three. Crib till three, guys. So are we doing everything we possibly can to make sure that's happening? Sleep sack, dropping the mattress all the way to the floor. If you've got a high side and a low side in the crib, flipping the crib around so the high side is, is against, sorry, the low side is against the wall and the high side is out. So it really is hard to climb out. It is very challenging for a two-year-old in these circumstances to get out of the crib. Uh, so if at all possible, we want to contain our toddlers because giving them freedom of motion or freedom of mobility so they can just climb out and come see what we're doing uh, is setting everybody up for for a bad time. So keep them in the crib if possible. Use our words. These are two and three-year-olds. They understand words. Hey, buddy, I'm really sorry to see that you're not excited about bedtime, but our bodies really need to rest. It's really important. It helps us keep strong and healthy. And we have a big day tomorrow. We're going to the... I don't know, feeding pond. We're going to go feed ducks. You know, we need to um, have a good night's sleep so we have energy to go go to grandma's house. And um, my staying here is not going to help you get the rest that you need to stay strong and healthy. So I love you and I'm always nearby and I can hear you, but I'm not going to come back in because my coming back in is not helping. And your child does not care about any of this. They're going to yell at you, mom, 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 pick, 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 mom, mom, mom. You know, like they're not going to go, Okay, mom, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's really, I hear what you're saying. No, but all you can do is establish your boundary and communicate clearly. Why do we have this boundary and what is the boundary? Why? Because rest is important. You need to rest your body. You know, what is the boundary? The boundary is I'm going to hear you, but I'm not coming back in. My being here is not helping. Good night. I love you. You're safe and I'm always nearby. That's it. And then you leave. Because what happens if we don't leave? Well, 
Now we have two parents who are sleeping on a mattress next to the crib until they fall asleep. And you guys know, where does this road lie? What happens when we lie on the mattress after they fall asleep? Well, what lies is that they're going to wake up later and you've gone missing. And if we have a two-year-old who can climb out of their crib, they're going to climb out and come find you because you've gone missing. Where'd you go? Why aren't you here? I fell asleep. You were here. Where'd you go? So now we have kids coming out of their bedroom at five times a night who will only fall back asleep with you. So a lot of times what happens is you have a two-year-old climbing out of their crib. You've gone missing. They come to find you. And now they won't fall asleep anywhere but in your bed because that's the only way they can make sure that you stay put because they don't want you to go missing again. So that's where that road leads. The stay on the floor in the mattress thing leads to basically co-sleeping with a two-year-old. So if that is not your ultimate goal in parenting, then you got to get out of the mattress at bedtime. Or another place it leads is now we have a parent sleeping on the mattress all night, every night. And, and by the way, that is not uncommon. I've worked with many families who have one parent, they alternate, sleeping on a mattress in the kid's room all night, every night. And the kid wakes up, looks over, makes sure you're still there, and falls back to sleep. But that parent has to stay there. And, you know, again, if that's working for you, that's fine. But I would argue, you know, as as adults who are in a partnership, you form that partnership to have time together. And one of you sleeping on a mattress in a child's room for years is not conducive to a, a healthy adult relationship. So, you know, I don't think that's a great plan typically for most people. If it's working for you, great, not judging, but I, I think it's not a great solution. So the solution is... You can't be there at bedtime and you need to communicate that with your child and explain to them why not. It's not healthy for me to sleep here. It's not good for me. I'm not getting the rest I need as a parent. I sleep in my bed. You sleep in your bed. I love you. I'm always nearby, but we're, we're going to sleep in our bed so we all get the rest that we need to stay strong and healthy. And that's it. And, you know, if you want to get tricky, you can get into like reward systems and we could talk about toddler nightlights and things like that, you know, alarm clocks. But the big picture is it's about communicating and establishing a boundary and following through on that. So when your child says they don't want to go to bed or when they cling to you or then they say they want daddy to stay, that's great. They want daddy to stay. Daddy wants to play with you too. But now is not the time. I, I can't wait to play with you in the morning when it's time to get up. I love it when we go outside after breakfast. I'll see you then, buddy. That's it. That is the boundary. All right. We are at 35 minutes. I had a few more questions, but um, I'm trying to keep this on schedule. I have one last question because I thought this was a really good one. Elena asks, my three-month-old sleeps great at night. He falls asleep in our arm and sleeps for nine hours. Yes. And wakes up once in the night. Should we be teaching independent sleep even though he sleeps great? I'm scared it'll get worse. So this is a great question. So sleep is great. I mean, at three months, sleeping through the night with one wake up, oh my God. I mean, half of us aren't even there at nine months. That's glorious. That's as good as it could possibly get. So she doesn't really have a problem, right? Like independent sleep is not fixing some crisis. Independent sleep, sure, it's important, but there's not a crisis here. So the question is, do we wait until we have a crisis or do we fix it preemptively? And truthfully, you could argue both sides. What is the motivation to make a scary change if things are great and things won't be any better once we make a change? Where is the drive? If, if it's hard and scary, why would I want to do it? Well, the argument to doing it now is that it is never easier than it is when they're little. 
you have a lot of tools and options. You can try to take things gradually and take baby steps and sort of make little tweaks and, you know, take a couple of weeks. And because it's not a crisis, you're not dying. You're not miserable. You're not all stressed out and tapped out. So you actually have the emotional juice to say, yeah, let's chip away at this now. So, you know, let's do it now. And kids, believe it or not, are more flexible at three months than they are at nine months. So that would be my argument as to why we do it now. The other argument says, well, it's it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's fair. But I will say that typically when it does get broke, it happens gradually and it kind of sneaks up on you. So it's not like one day just everything is terrible and you're like, oh, it's it's time to make a change. What happens is it kind of it kind of gets a little more worse and a little more worse. And then you go, well, maybe they're teething. Oh, they had the sniffle. Well, we did a little travel to grandma's house, you know. And, and it's not clear what's happening until one day you're like, oh, my God, everything's terrible. This is what she was talking about. So oftentimes what happens is we sort of say, hey, it's not that bad. We'll just keep going. And then it kind of gradually gets worse. Like one more feeding pops up. But you go, well, you know, they're teething or they were a little sick. Maybe they're just a little dehydrated. Okay, we'll have two feedings. And then another feeding pops up. Well, we were at grandma's house. She wasn't sleeping well. You know, and now all of a sudden you go from one feeding to three, four, five feedings and getting out of it is a little trickier because A, now everybody's tired and miserable. And B, we have a child who was going nine hours before eating, who's eating every two to three hours, who is now habituated to eating a lot at night. And now we've got a night weaning problem and we're exhausted and child is exhausted. And it's just like now it's a bigger issue. Will that necessarily happen? No, not always, but a lot of times that's kind of what happens. So, you know, yes, it's hard to make a scary change when things are beautiful right now and will not be any better. I mean, like independent sleep is not going to make this child sleep any better than nine hours before our first feeding. But personally, I would want to avoid any issues down the road and avoid going backwards in terms of night feedings and have to do all this weaning. So I would argue like, you know, like taking some small steps and experimenting and chipping away at it at three months would kind of be ideal if you could. So that would be my advice. Yes, you could wait until it's broke and then worry about it. But three months, if your sleep is going great, sure. Why not experiment a little? Life is short. Take the plunge. Well, great. Thank you guys so much. Super awesome questions. Super thoughtful questions. Super informed questions. So it was really um, interesting to kind of see what guys were grappling with and really how kind of sophisticated your thinking is around sleep, which is great. That's awesome. You want to be a sophisticated thinker around sleep and parenting. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope this works because I've been recording this whole time. And if it does, maybe we make this a regular thing because I love taking questions and I love uh, chatting with you guys. Have a good day and I'll talk to you soon. Mm -hmm. 